All right. Thank you for being here tonight. If you would uh, turn in your Bible to, to the book of Acts to begin. Uh, chapter number 15. We will not stay here very long. We're going to spend most of our time in, a, in the book of Romans. But I just want to read a, a small portion of Scripture before we read a chapter in Romans. Uh, let me uh, encourage you in something. Um, if you would, do, you would do yourself and your family... Uh, a great service, especially if you have kids, to take the time to, uh, on a regular basis, uh, read the Bible with your kids. In fact, my, kid, my kids are probably going to, uh, this is going to be familiar to them because this, uh, what I'd like to say tonight, comes out of a, uh, something we've been looking at as we've been going through the book of Romans in our, uh, we call it our Bible time that we've been doing, uh, not every day, but pretty regularly. We try to be fairly regular with it, um, starting back when the kids were very, very small, uh, when even Joshua was just a little guy. And, uh, and there have been, it, is, it has borne so much fruit in our family, in our kids, I think, our kids' understanding, and in my own understanding, even as I try to read the Bible and explain it to them kind of off the cuff, no, nothing prepared, just reading, trying to explain, trying to help the kids understand. And what I realize is that uh, many things that, uh, that as I try to explain to them, I myself need to understand first before I can explain it to them. But it's, if you don't do that, if that's not, not something, especially if you have a smaller kids that you don't do, I encourage you to take the time to do that, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes. Read through the Bible, explain it. You say, well, I don't know what it means. That's fine. You, you read it, you explain what you do understand, and the Lord will help you. Acts chapter 15, um, verse number 36, says this, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought, it not, thought not good to take, with, take him with them who departed from them from, from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed in, unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches." Now, let me ask you a question. That's, of course, the beginning of what's called the second missionary journey of Paul. Did not start out the way Paul intended or Barnabas. It's the sad reality that sometimes Christians have disagreements, right? Within churches, sometimes Christians have disagreements. It's just a fact. Now, I want to ask you a question before we turn to Romans. In this disagreement between Paul and, uh, Paul and Barnabas, who was right and who was wrong? All right, let me ask you this as you think about that. Does the Bible say who was right and wrong? No, it doesn't. 
So you know what? We have no idea. And that's okay. You don't, we don't have to know, have all the answers. We do not know who is right and wrong, but what we do know is that Paul and Barnabas, of course, this was not a scriptural issue. This was not, a, this was not an issue where the, where the right choice was evident. It was, a lot of it probably had to do with Paul and Barnabas's, uh, their, their separate personalities and things like that. But whatever went into this decision, it was so, it was so important to them that they could no longer work together as a team in their missionary work. And so they went separately. But did you know in the Bible, the Lord tells us there's, a, there's an entire chapter in the Bible that is dedicated to this very question when there are disputes among Christians, when there are questions of, of, uh, that, that do not have easy answers and about which there might be a, a great deal of disagreement. So let's look at that in Romans uh, chapter 14. Romans 14, we will pray and then we'll read Romans 14 together. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for uh, how good you are to us, Lord, that you have created us all individually. You have made us, uh, you have fashioned us in the womb, like your word says, and Lord, you've created our personalities, you've given us our strengths, and uh, you've allowed our weaknesses, and I thank you, Lord, that we are not all the same. I thank you that you have fashioned the body together in a way that pleases you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, though, to follow these guidelines, these directions in Romans 14. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to help your people. Lord, I pray that you would help your people. Even as we look at the Word and we try to study it, Lord, give us insight and understanding. Help us to go away with a better understanding of it. Lord, we don't, we don't desire to be uh, to be praised or anything like that. Lord, we only want to do your will. So Lord, help us and meet with us, Lord, truly by your spirit. Lord, help our minds and our hearts to be focused and uh, intent to hear what you have to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 14, verse 1 says this, <clears throat> Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth the, not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that He might be Lord both of the dead and living. 
But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that, it, that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith we may edify, one, edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God, for all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense." It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything, whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This chapter, the, the subject matter of this chapter can be summarized in two words, which is in verse 1. It says, Him that is weak in the, in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. That's what this chapter is about. Now, what is a doubtful disputation? A doubtful dis disputation is a matter of dispute or disagreement or contention or controversy that has no certain, no, that, that does not have a certain or clear uh, direction or solution, or there's, it might be something that is a, a matter of controversy or dispute among believers now, because the context of this is the church, where uh, it's a controversy that is uncertain, ambiguous, or questionable, or about which believers might sincerely disagree with one another. So this is talking about, the, in this chapter, what is, what is the context here is not talking about perfectly clear matters of scriptural uh, uh, explanation that are in the Bible. It's plain to read, plain to see. These are things that, that Christians often have controversy over. Oftentimes it might be things that are maybe not scriptural commands or something that's plainly taught in the Bible, but oftentimes it's things that are applied from the Bible. In other words, what I mean by that is when you take, just like Pastor Stewart often says, you have precepts, you have principles, and you have, what's the third one? Come on now. Preferences. Precepts are things that are clearly spelled out in the Scriptures. Principles are general truths that are taught in the Scripture, which we then must apply in daily, everyday decisions that we have. Now, here's the thing. We know the principles, and the principles should not be in, in disagreement. The principles should be firm and established, but for each one of us, the way we apply that principle 
honestly and sincerely before God can be different. And so we might, as we try to apply the Bible on an individual level, sometimes we come to issues where we don't see eye to eye. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Now, before we get into the text here, I want to address one thing, which sometimes we call the, we categorize these issues as major issues and minor issues, right? Or in the, in the, in the era of COVID, you have essential and non-essential. But if we just say major and minor, we categorize everything in, as major and minor. I think we need to be honest here and we need to say something out the gate, which is there are major issues and there are minor issues. Now, here's the problem. You know, if, if, if we want to broadly categorize it, you might say a major issue is what we believe about the deity of Christ or salvation by grace through faith in Christ or something like that. We might think of a minor issue as, you know, certain things that we might disagree on with, you know, whether you should play the piano or whether you should have a banjo or things like that in the church or something, something of that nature, right? But between those two more obvious examples, there's an entire... There's a gradient of so many different things that Christians can disagree on, right? But here's the thing. This is the warning when you talk about major issues and minor issues on these matters of disagreement. Is this. Everything's not a major issue. Now, some people want to take every small issue. They allow no room for minor issues. Everything's a major issue. Everything's a hill to die on. But the problem is when every issue is a major issue, then that means we must all be exactly the same and have exactly the same opinion on every matter. Right? So there's no variation. There's no allowance for other people to think anything different. And the moment somebody, and and I've seen this with my own eyes, okay? The moment somebody disagrees or or voices any kind of disagreement or or any kind of uh, dispute, that person is cut off. They're just just cast away, like the Bible says in this chapter. They're, they're, They're just, where is it? Set at naught, verse 10. They're set at naught. Ah, they don't know what they're talking about. That's when everything's a major issue. But then not everything is a minor issue either. Now think about it. When everything's a minor issue, what happens? Those things which are of greatest importance are put on the same level as trivia. And so important matters that are evil are brought into the church and they're accepted. Because, you know, it's just just a little thing. Let me give you an example. A real example. How many of you are familiar with Charles Stanley? How many of you know his son, Andy? Andy Stanley is a big name in the Southern Baptists. He's a, he's a big kind of, he's a leader. Did you know that in his church that he recently uh, came out and said things that indicated pretty plainly that People that are engaging in homosexual activity, sodomy, can not only be Christians, but but the question was raised, how do we serve people in the church that are homosexuals? Now, 
That's a major issue. That goes down to the very core of human sexuality and how God created man and woman. Now, now the problem is that those that sympathize with people like that are going to say, well, that's a minor issue, but it's not. Not everything is minor. Some things are a big deal, right? Everything is not a big deal, though. So we have to, we have to say... We have to acknowledge that there are major things and there are minor things. And even at that point, sometimes there's disagreement of what is major, what is minor. But in this chapter, there are two particular issues that are used as examples. You have the issue of what you can eat and the issue of the Sabbath or a holy day. All right, here's why that's important. In the early church, these were issues that, that, were, that came to the forefront pretty quickly because in the early church, the early church was Jewish in character, right? Remember, they didn't even go out and preach the gospel really as the Gentiles until really Antioch. And so the early church, even when Paul went to a new city, he would go and preach the gospel in the synagogue to begin with. That was his that was his method to the Jew first. And so there were many Jews who, had, who became Christian, Christian Jews, ethnically Jewish, but they believed in Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Now we know he's the savior of all men, but, but the church had those Jew, that Jewish character. And as a result, the question, came, the question comes up is, do I still have to keep the Sabbath? Do the Gentiles have to keep the Sabbath who aren't Jewish? Do, are they restricted by the dietary laws of the Old Testament? Because the Jews were. So these are natural questions, but here's the thing. These are questions about which people had disagreement. That's why it's in here. But we can apply these things to other matters that we deal with more commonly. Like how do you decide what kind of music is godly music? If this song is godly or that song. Or, or, or ladies oftentimes are, have to face questions of, what they should wear because we know the scriptural principle of uh, adorning oneself in modest apparel. But what is modest? How modest is modest? You think the length of a man's hair. The Bible says plainly, if man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. So the question is how long? Right? And there are many, many other, other issues, issues with money and issues with how we, how we deal with things, whether we should make this decision or that decision in a particular set of circumstances. Listen, there, are always been, there, are, there have always been and will always be disagreements among sincere Christians. Now, in verse number one, or verse two, it says, For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Notice that. There's this comparison between a strong Christian and a weak Christian. The strong Christian is a Christian who, doesn't, who knows from his growth in Christ and his knowledge of the Scripture that, as we should all understand, the believer is not restricted, the Christian, New Testament Christian is not restricted by any dietary laws of the Old Testament. And so that's why uh, Lisa and Lynn provided us with shrimp <laughs> at, the, uh, at the Valentine banquet, and nobody felt bad about it. But the point is, is that in this case, you had a strong believer who had greater knowledge in the Scripture, and you had a weak believer, and the weak believer felt restricted, like he couldn't do something that maybe someone else could do. So that's, that's, the, that's what's happening here. Now, if you look at verse number 14, let me ask you a question on that subject. 
Look at verse 14. It says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, Paul speaking now, that there is nothing unclean of itself. So what does that tell you? You had the strong believer who would eat anything. You had the weak believer who would, who restricted his diet for fear that, you know, some of those things might apply. Who is right? According to verse 14. Who is right in an absolute sense? The answer, the strong believer is right. Paul's a strong believer. He's saying, I know what the scripture says. I know what the Lord says on this matter. I have liberty to take part in this if I wish. Now, the weaker believer is wrong. But just, listen now, but just because he's wrong, number one, doesn't mean he knows it. And number two, doesn't mean he is to be mistreated by the believer who is stronger. And that's where we get to the real core of this chapter. Now, let's look at the first few verses. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Notice it says, receive the weak believer. Verse 2, For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Now, I just want to draw this out. Here's what I want you to understand. In the church, not everyone that believes in Christ will be at the same point in growth. You know what you're going to find? There are weak believers who are learning their faith. And sometimes, listen, it's, it's not a matter of a length of time. Sometimes there are people who are growing and they've been saved a long time, but they haven't grown a great deal for various reasons. And they're still weak. And then you have others who, are, who have matured in their faith and they've grown and they're strong. And then you have everybody in between. All of us are on different, different levels of our, of our spiritual growth. And this fact alone shows us that in our church and among Christians, which is what we're talking about here, in our church we have to understand that there are people that are going to disagree with us for various reasons. Sometimes, you, did you know, do you know what? Sometimes you might, you might come across somebody in our church. It might be me. It might be me that I'm having a bad day and I'm not walking in the spirit exactly like I should be, right? And, you, and I might snap at you or say something unkind or, or I might do it by accident. Here's the point. Among, in a church, among believers, there's always dynamics like that. That tells us we ought to learn to show grace and patience, and long-suffering, and learn to assume good, like 1 Corinthians 13 says, charity thinketh no evil. Learn to assume good of our brother, and not to assume the worst, because maybe they were having a bad day. Keeping in mind that even myself, if I'm a strong believer, even I have bad days too. And in a church... We must learn to show grace and patience and long-suffering with other believers because everybody's not strong. And I might be the weak one. Right? Now, here's the thing I want you to see, verse 2 and verse 3. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. That's the strong man, the strong believer, looking down upon the man who's weaker. Ha, <laughs> stupid. You don't even know what he's talking about. Mocking him. 
ridicule. But it says, furthermore, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. See, I, I know we're not supposed to do, we're not supposed to do that, but look at he's doing it. This is what, this is, can you believe she's wearing, you're not supposed to wear that. You're not supposed to listen to that. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to go there. Now, I'm not trying to say that everybody who is more restrictive and more, maybe, I, I hate to use these terms, conservative thinking, you know, because we're, we all fall somewhere on there, on that spectrum, conservative or less conservative, more conservative. And we might be more conservative on one issue and less conservative on another issue. We might view the Bible in one way here, really strictly and more, more uh, with more liberty in this way. But here's the point. Here's the point. Is that in this, he says, Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. So these people disagree. But what you see in these two verses is that the Lord does not expect everyone to think the same thing in every matter. That's why he tells the one man, don't despise the other who disagrees. And he tells the other, don't judge the one who disagrees. He says, it's okay if you don't agree. You can be different. Now, we're not talking about on, air quote, major issues. This is issues of, verse 1, doubtful disputations. You've got to make sure you keep it in that context. But in those matters, the Lord doesn't expect everyone to think the same thing. We can have different opinions. And the Lord has designed our relationship with Him and with each other such that we will have different opinions. What do you mean? We'll see it in a minute, but we, each one of us has a conscience with which we serve the Lord. And that conscience guides us as we try to maintain a clean conscience before God. But you know what? That conscience is informed in different ways. And sometimes we come, come down in different ways in different matters. And so uh, the Lord allows for that. That's what chapter 14 says. It's allowing for differences. Now, keep reading in verse number four. I'm sorry, I, I skipped something here. The end of verse three, what does it say? The last six, uh, five words, what does it say? For God hath received him. You see that? This is the man who disagrees with me. This is the, this is the, the lady who wears something I, don't, I wouldn't wear and doesn't, don't think she should wear. Or, to reverse it, this is the lady who feels like she can wear something even though the other lady's saying she can't. It goes both ways. That's the point. This is the man who listens to something he's, I don't think he ought to listen to, or the guy who, who, who thinks this guy's too restrictive. I read something the other day, uh, my friend Tim Perry, he sent me something about a, what someone put on, it was a public post about uh, how that, he, he said it plainly, Christians should not go to a, a restaurant that serves alcohol. That's what he said. 
Christians, but he said it like it was biblical fact. That's a good example. Now, I'm going to do something here. Raise your hand if you have no problem going to a restaurant that serves alcohol. Okay, now, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know who, who didn't raise your hand. Most, most hands were raised. My hand's raised. But if you believe that you shouldn't go to a place that serves alcohol, and in times past, it was a place that was open on Sunday. That was a thing there for a while. You wouldn't go to a restaurant on Sunday, you know, because that's, you know, the Lord's day. But if you go to a, if you go to a place that serves, that if, you, if you believe you should not go to a place that serves alcohol because it serves alcohol, or you, you don't want to go to a place that has a bar because it has a bar, that's fine. Right? But the reverse is true as well. Because this is one of those matters. It's not clearly spelled out in Scripture. And there is allowance for disagreements and friendly, charitable disagreements. So if, you, if, I, if I'm the guy who doesn't want to go to a place that serves alcohol because of the alcohol, I'm not allowed to look down at you because you do. Cuts both ways, you see. Why should I not judge, condemn, despise, or set it not my brother who does that? End of verse 3. For God hath received him. If God received him, then I must also. That's the bottom line. Now look down at verse 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. That's interesting. Despite the person's opinion that you find wrong, all right, think about it. There's a brother, there's a sister who, who you think they're not doing the right, they, they ought not do something, or you think they're too restrictive, or whatever the case might be. Despite that person's opinion that you find wrong, what you will find as a matter of Christian experience is that God will still bless and use that person, even though they do things that you don't think they should. That's a fact. God is not checking in with us <laughs> to see if we approve of that person before he blesses them and helps them and uses them. He's not checking in with us. It says in verse 4, He shall be holding up. That means God's going to hold him up, for God is able to make him stand. God often proves to bless his people that we think he should never bless. <laughs> look at her. Look at him. He does that. She goes there. She wears that. He does that. He listens to that. And listen, and I know, again, I got to go back to the context because I know this is abused so often. All right? The context is doubtful disputations. If you, Listen, and I know no one in here gets drunk, but if you got drunk, you deserve to be criticized and rebuked. Right? But going to a restaurant that sells alcohol is different than getting drunk. That's the distinction that this, this, this chapter is making. Okay? There is a difference. The major, the minor. You might, you know, essential, non whatever you want to call it. 
God often chooses to bless people that we disagree with. <laughs> and He does it in spite of us, and He doesn't ask our permission, and He dares us, to, as it were, to criticize. Look at verse 4. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. Now listen to this. Here's a biblical truth you can see from verse 4. God often causes people to stand and serve Him and be strong in Him and grow in their faith, even if they aren't right in all points. And in this case, you have the weak man who, who restricted his diet because he thought he had to, and then you had the strong believer, the mature believer, who could eat all things. That's the example here, right? Listen, the weak believer was wrong in this case. But you know what? God still caused him to stand and still helped him to grow and still blessed his life, even though he wasn't right in every point. And you know what? If God didn't do that all the time, there's none of us that would enjoy God's blessing ever. If God just cast us off every time something's wrong with us, well, then there would be none of us that would grow at all, ever. But he doesn't do that. But he, he doesn't do that with me, and he doesn't do that with the other guy who thinks who I, th I might disagree with. God sees their motives. God treats them as one on whom he is still working. Right? This is how gracious God is. Now look at verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, talking about the Sabbath or a holy day. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, in our family, there's someone in our family who believes that Christians are required to keep the Sabbath. Now, it's funny because they don't believe it's Sunday. Uh, they believe it's Sunday, not Saturday, but I digress. Now, do I believe they're right? No. Am I going to follow their, the rule that they have set up in keeping the Sunday Sabbath? No. But... I am not allowed to mistreat them as a result. Look at what it says in verse 5. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Notice that, every man. The decisions we make on these kinds of matters are individual decisions that must be made, listen now, individual personal decisions that must be made with our, with our eye upon the Lord to please Him. Not regarding what other people think or do, but it says, every man, that means, Miss Judy, on matters of doubtful disputation, you have to go to God and settle this matter, what you believe that God wants you to do as an individual. This is what we call, this is a, this is a practical outworking of what we call priesthood of the believer. That means you don't need anybody else to tell you what to do. You stand before God in full at full rights as a believer, as a child of God, and, and the, the, the burden and the responsibility that comes with that is on these matters, you have to make the decision of what you are going to do. Are you going to go to the place that serves alcohol or not? Are you going to listen to that song or this song? Are you going to cut your hair this long or that long? Are you going to wear this or wear that? Or, or a multitude of other questions that might, you have a responsibility and I have a responsibility to make that decision ourselves. But here's the thing. 
Yes, the Lord allows differences of opinion, but he requires that we go to him with an honest heart and a clear conscience when we do. Verse 6, He that regardeth a day, talking about the Sabbath, regardeth it, what's it say? Unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. What does that mean? That means he's making the decision to eat or not eat or, 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 or observe the Sabbath or not or, or whatever. Wear this, go here, do that. He's making that decision with his eye upon the Lord, knowing that his life is not his to live. His life is to live. Lord, what do you want me to do? Your will is all that matters. Not what he says, she says, what she might, she might think or whatever. Not her rules or his rules. No. What do you say? I want to do your will and I want to do it with a clean conscience. That is an individual decision. And you know what? I can't impose my conscience upon you. We have liberty. This is the right use of liberty as a believer. And this is also what we call liberty of conscience. We must give liberty to others who hold these individual personal opinions and we should expect liberty from others to allow us to hold these individual personal opinions. This is freedom of conscience. And again, it, it cuts both ways. The real test of this is when someone does disagree and what comes up in our heart. Do we judge? And listen, there's three solid verses in this chapter that tell us not to judge believers. I know, I know. Judge not, judge not. You know, the, the lady comes in from the bar and she's, you know, she's staggering and, and uh, you're on the street passing out a, a gospel track. You hand her a gospel track. You can't judge me. You know, that happens. I've had it happen to me. That is not what this is talking about. Often people use judge, judge, judge not, judge not as a shield to protect themselves from criticism. They don't want anybody to criticize the wicked life that they're living. But that's not what this is talking about. Again, verse 1, doubtful disputations. But what is in here is at least three verses that tell us, don't judge your brother. Upon what basis? Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. The reality is, the reason the Lord tells us not to judge the other person is number one, we have a full plate in front of us doing the will of God and, and answering these questions and making these decisions here with a clear conscience, with a pure heart before God as an individual. We have a full plate doing that. We don't have time to judge what other people are doing. You know what? The moment that we do that and we stop worrying about whether the other, what the other person is doing, whether they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing in these kinds of matters, that's a very liberating moment. I don't care what they do. I don't care what they think about me doing it. <laughs> it's liberating. As long as I'm not a stumbling block to them. Now that's a separate issue. It's liberating. So even though people misuse the judge not term, we, we need to understand and we need to be honest that, that it is in the text. And the basis of it is that the Lord who knows the motives who knows the, the point where the point we are in our personal growth as an individual, who knows how he's been working in our hearts and convicting us and leading us, the Lord knows the thoughts and secrets of the heart. 
His judgment is right. So we don't need to judge that person, whether they're doing this right or that, this right or that right or this wrong or that wrong. God knows. And as I said, as we read in the text, God will make somebody stand even if they're not right all the time. God will make them grow. He'll, he'll overlook what they do and, and wink at it briefly so that he can get them to a different point and work on that other thing that maybe they're not right on. He alone knows all of that. So the issue of judgment is often misunderstood. But, it sh- listen, but just because it's misunderstood should not scare us away from what the Bible says on it, right? In this chapter, we must be careful. Now, let me, let me hasten to say something because people that have different opinions on, you know, whether, on where you fall in these different things always make assumptions, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try to address some of those a little bit. Just because someone has a different opinion than I do on a matter, and just because I'm, I, the Lord tells me not to judge them, not to condemn them, on matters of, again, doubtful disputation, that doesn't mean I have to agree or do what they do. Again, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Individual soul liberty. Now look at verse 14. We're almost finished. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Let me read that last sentence again. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Whoa, that's a double standard. So that means if there's something that you believe you shouldn't do, you might be wrong. You might be, in an absolute sense, you might be wrong. Just like this person here with eating. I can't eat that. The Lord says you're not supposed to eat pork, you know. You might be wrong, but you better not eat it because you're eating it against your conscience. And that's wrong. You see that? So it's not the eating it that's wrong. It's that you not maintaining a pure heart and clean conscience before God that's wrong. There are times in which a person's conscience will not allow him to do something. And you know what? Miss Karen, if you have a conscience that you feel like you can't do something, I'll give you an example because it's, you're a living example. I know she's not wearing a hat because she has a conviction about hats. She's wearing a hat to block these lights. <laughs> But if, if, she, if she did, there are people that wear hats and try to wear, women that wear head coverings in churches. How many of y'all have been, been to a church like that? There are women that do that. Do I believe that's scriptural? No. Do I believe they're mistaken? Yes. Am I allowed to mistreat anybody that does that? Or the husband who requires his wife to do that? No. Does that mean my wife has to do it? No. Right? But if Miss Karen felt like she had to wear a hat like that, I should not chasten her for that or chastise her over it. I want her to follow her conscience as the Lord directs her. And if I don't agree, 
I just got to get over it. She has liberty. But the reverse is true again. If, if I was a lady and I didn't wear a hat in church, she also has to give me that liberty, right? This is what we're talking about. And the reason we do this, the reason we do this is based upon what we, what we see in verse number three and what we see in verse number 15. Verse three at the end says, for God hath received him. Verse 15 says, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. You know what that means? That means that person with whom we might disagree, they're a believer, I'm a believer, we're in a church, Jesus loved them. He loves them to this day. He's working on them. He's helping them to grow. He has received them. They are in full measure, just like you, just like me. They are a child of God. And because Jesus loves them, I have to love them. And I have to treat them as a beloved brother or sister, as the case might be, in the Lord. You know, I'm glad that God allows us to be different and have different differences of opinions in some matters. And the real grace comes when we can treat people with kindness and grace and patience and love and in no way, no quibbles in our relationship whatsoever, even though we know we might have a, a few differences. I hope God does that. Allows us to serve Him with purity of heart and a clean conscience individually. Let's pray.